Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mason. Welcome to a very special edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get to interview people in the know within the entertainment music industry and outside and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. And this brother right here, I'm definitely giving him his flowers now. We grew up together in the 252, particularly Gaston Garrisburg area of North Carolina, to be exact. Played football together back in the days at Gaston Middle School, North Andy County High School West. Shout out to them Jaguars. Do it up big this Friday night in the playoffs. And he has a NBA currently and is doing things on the analyst tip. And we're going to get into all of that. And then some with my good friend, Mr. Marquette Branch. Marquette, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate I appreciate the introduction, man. It's such such so eloquent, so eloquent. No, but uh, thank you for having me, man. I'm honored. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be speaking with you. Can't get what can't wait to to jump into to these wide a range of topics. Yeah, man, it's definitely very special for me whenever I have somebody from the hometown on the show and to think back of where we all came from and how. There wasn't really a lot of options for us coming from where we come from. It was either you were going to go work at that paper mill, you were going to work some other manual labor jobs. So you really had to get it out of the mud with either by yourself or the help of your support system, family, friends, mentors. And we had plenty of that in our area and now coming up. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, you know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, growing up there, you, you don't, you don't realize it. You know, you don't really realize it until you until you leave and then you, and you get around a bunch of other people and you start sharing experiences and things. You're just kind of like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know you did that or uh, I didn't know that you could do that or I didn't know. You know, you kind of you kind of you kind of start to see like, OK, it's, it's a lot of things out here. It's a bigger word out here, you know. Yeah. So expound on the people that may not be familiar with the area of North Carolina, where we come from, just how you really had to do what you needed to do in order to make a better future for yourself? Well, you did. For people that don't know, um, our area is a small area. Pretty much everybody knows everybody. Um, you have good people there. It's really good people there. There's people there that treat you. You had a feeling of feeling like you was in a community. No matter where you went, you felt like every adult raised you you felt like you you felt personally obligated to to do right by every adult that you felt like that raised you but you also knew too that in order for you to make something happen for yourself um those same adults would stay on you so um, and so they kept accountability and so it made you it made you understand too in order for you to go out and do some things for yourself that you had to go out and work and you couldn't cut any corners and if need be you had to leave from home and come back if need be. Or sometimes, you know, you may not come back, whatever the case may be, but you help from afar or whatever you can do. But it definitely taught you about family. It definitely taught you about being grounded. Um, one thing about it, if you come from my area, if you if you if you're not if you're not grounded and rooted, I don't I can't understand how. But our area is definitely an area that keeps you grounded and it keeps you rooted. And you want to always be able to come back. And especially you want to always do good. That was the main thing that I, I, I can speak on is just wanting to do good for those teachers, uh, for those police officers, for those mentors that always just kind of stayed on top of us and wanted us to do well. You always want to do good and come back and, and help out if you can. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, because back in our area, you're not known by your first name. You're known as either Greg Mallory's son or <laughs> Judge Branch's son. Right. So, so you're always going to get that in there. So you always feel like you have to uphold yourself to the higher standard because somebody back home is always watching. You do. You do. You really do. You really do. But it's it's a good, it's a great thing. It's a great thing at the same time because it, it kind of kept you on your toes, you know? Mm -hmm. Kind of kept on your toes. You knew when you was you knew when you was doing wrong and and everybody else did too. <laughs> mm -hmm. And also helps you to learn work ethic because some of us had to go out into those fields, whether it be cotton, tobacco, corn, peanuts, working for maybe as little as five dollars or less to earn some pocket money or chores around the house, go to your grandparents' house to do stuff and really had to learn at an early age, you got to go out and get it. Nobody's going to hand anything to you. So what was that like for you coming up with your mom being the judge and with your dad, both well-respected members in the community? And how do you think that impacted you at an early age, knowing that, you know, I got to be on my toes because my parents have strong influence? Um, I know one of the things, well, one of the things for sure, it was, uh, I thought that it was automatic when you turned 15, 16 that you had to work. Like, I didn't think that you had a choice. It, it didn't feel like you had a choice. It felt like as soon as you was old enough to start working, you worked, you, period. Sports come second, you work. Um, but, but one thing I did, I can say as far as work ethic, as far as, um, as, far as my parents and as far as the upbringing, I never got anything. I never, I never was handed anything. Everything that I received, I had to work for. Uh, whether that be doing my own chores, getting my grades, making sure my grades was good in school, making sure that I was handling my responsibilities at church as well, uh, making sure my attitude was correct at all times, you know, especially out within the community, and making sure I was representing my family and representing them in the in the, in the most respectful way. So it taught me early on that, okay, all right, so if I if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to get anything. But if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I work and do what I'm supposed to do, then I should, I can get things. And so I took that, I took that, that small, that lesson right there and applied it throughout my entire life. And I think it helped a great deal because now I look at things and saying, well, nothing is going to be easy and nothing is going to be handed to me. So if I get anything, I work for it and it's not going to be easy. So it taught me a real, real great, great thing about work ethic and how to really go and make it happen for yourself and not to make any excuses. And I, learned, I also learned on the flip side, when you get things easy at an early age, you think that your rest of your life, things are going to come to you easy. And then you're going to make decisions that are based around that. So... It's kind of one of those things that I, I still carry heavily today. Right. And some of you know about that poem, Excuses. If you wore them three letters and them two colors, you know all about those poem, that poem, Excuses. I'm not a member. I just know people that are. So um, the Rono Valley, for some of you that may not know, is famous nationally uh, for the movie Normal Ray, which starred Sally Lee Field back in the late 70s. It was based on Crystal Lee Sutton, who was from Runner Rapids and how she started a union 
at the J.P. Stevens Paper Mill. And of course, um, some of you may not know this, but actor Will Ferrell, his parents is from Ronald Rapids. They went to Ronald Rapids High. So that's definitely a nice little correlation right there. But let's talk about how I mentioned Normal Ray and how textile mills in our hometown back in the day was a huge economic boost for the town along with agriculture. But when NAFTA came into effect, all those jobs went away, went overseas, and is what you see now if you go back to Run Rapids, Weldon, Garrisburg, where it is fast food, a lot of manual labor. But if you work at the textile mill or at the paper mill, you could graduate high school by Friday and get hired and have a good paying job by Monday. You could be able to live good off of that. So let's talk about the changes in uh, economics in our area over the past four decades. It's been major changes, major changes. Um, I see that now that it's starting to kind of boom back a little bit. I think the town of Weldon has been getting a lot of money um, for rebuilding, uh, well, renovating or expanding um, the, the dock, the uh, boardwalk down there in Weldon. I believe that. So I believe there's, there's some things that's coming now, um, but it has been a change. There was a there was a boom. You're right. There was a boom. Um, my mom herself worked there, worked at paper mill at the time. It was it was called paper mill, and worked there for 20 years, um, and was rebuilding pumps. And it was one of the first African American women rebuilding pumps, and had to also deal with uh, racism there as well. And I think when she started. She still had the, I think it was the white, the uh, white only, black only. I think the signs were still down there. So it's been a major shift into now um, that change. You kind of wonder where would that go? Where would that lead now? Where does it lead? And you ask yourself the questions as to why did it change? That's the major question as to why did it, what was the change? What was the change in the area in the last four decades that caused that caused the shift in what we see. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think one of our counties are are uh, was one of the poorest. Was in the rank one of the poorest in yeah. the East. In the... Yeah, Northampton, Halifax ranked in the state as one of the poorest counties in the state. Yeah. So it makes you ask the question, you know, how did we get here? How how did our hometown get to that point? I mean, because you think about it, if you go home right now, if I went home right now, there's Loads of people that I don't I don't know. I'm sure that you don't know. We didn't know growing up. We didn't know. We don't know. And it makes you ask, well, how did you end up here in the area? Especially if this area is one of the poorest areas and this area has changed economically within the last four decades. So it's like a, it's a very interesting question that you pose there. And I I find myself sometimes asking that same question and also asking, what's the remedy? What's the solution? You know, what can what can we bring back? I mean, think about it from this perspective as well. The high school that you and I both went to and graduated from is no longer that anymore. There's no longer no offense to West Hurricanes. It's Jaguars, right? Mm -hmm. And it's combined from the two counts from East, well, for what we knew was East and West. And they're combined now. And it's crazy because, you know, Kip is right across the right across the way, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It also makes you ask that question: What happens to the kids? Did it? Did, is there a shrinkage? Is it less kids in school anymore? Is a is it, is it going more prep now? You know, it seems like it's an entire economic downtrend within that four decade cycle that that we're talking about. And I, 
it's 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 very interesting when you think about how do you how do you how do you answer the question how did it happen and how do we get results and change for what we have now Mm, yeah, I recently went back home over the summer for family vacation and saw that welding right around the Riverwalk area. They're definitely doing a lot of big rebuilding developments over there. And just recently in Garrisburg, uh, Country Sprouts, which is a local grocery store, just opened up along with a catering business right next door. It's right off three, Highway 301 in the junction of 186, like going towards Seaboard. So if you all ever in the area, you want to get fresh local produce, meats, farm to table, definitely check out Country Sprouts and Miss V's uh, Catering. And these are seeing now people are starting to have that mindset of, I don't need to go away in order to have success. I can right. have success right here. I can take the tools that I learned where I went to school or maybe did my years of living, then apply right. it and come back home in order to help build up the area that shaped me. That's true. And that's and that's and that's the that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. It's kind of uh one of those things of taking taking the horn back, like taking taking control back over of the of the destiny because more businesses can flourish there. It's just a matter of what what does the the county the town what do they need you know what do they need you can give them you can give them a bunch of things that they don't really need and they may not even support but what what does the people what do they really need and it can it and if you can meet that that target need maybe we can see maybe we can see more more growth maybe we can see more businesses um willing to roll the dice to even come there to even you know to open up a business or so you know Right. And it's definitely important to make your voice heard and vote. A voteless people is a hopeless people. We're recording this interview as we speak during midterm elections. So if you have not already gone out to register and stand in line and vote, do so. Stay in line until the polls close. Offer a ride to somebody if they may need transportation. So it's important to make sure your voice is heard because folks literally left their blood on the field yeah. for you to stand in that line and to cast that ballot. So don't be doing the ancestors of the service by saying your vote don't matter. And can I just say too, this is, I, I really, I really want to double back and stress that for sure. This don't be fooled people like midterm elections are just as important as the presidential elections It's just as important, maybe even more important. Please don't look this off and just think that it's just, I'm not going to worry about it. It doesn't count. I don't care. No, trust it. It, it. it matters. It matters. So to follow up behind, follow up behind what my boy here just said, please, people, go out and vote. It is so important to get the midterms and to vote in the midterms and starting to get some stones in place. Message. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the pillars that, helped shape us when we came up like the late coach lee the late coach hasty likes of lucy edwards coach grady williams coach crossing awesome, uh, yeah. and the countless others so can we just talk about how those people that i mentioned and the countless others that we did not mention helped shape us and mold us because i could still hear to this day in my head coach lee saying take off blowing that whistle <laughs> 
Pedro. <laughs> man, man, I, I'm still hearing Coach Hazy talking about man, don't uh, don't piss on my boots and tell me it's right. <laughs> Coach Jerome, run that power, oh baby, full power, baby, full power. power. <laughs> oh man, those you know, though they played, they were major influences. Um, honestly, and every one of those people that you mentioned. They gave me a piece of confidence that they didn't even know they gave me. They believed in me when I didn't even know really what I was doing. I, I really had no idea. I was just going what I thought I knew. Um, but each person, they helped shape. They really helped shape me. I know, and us. I, but they definitely helped shape me in my in, in the entire process, man. I, I can go on with a million stories. With with uh with Coach Hasty and Coach Lee, Miss Edwards, oh my gosh, Walk to the Ms. Edwards was one of the was one of the one of the the first like principles that you felt a actual connection to as if she was your mother. Like when you got in trouble, you didn't instantly feel like you know something crazy was gonna happen, but you felt like that you you always felt like you had a fair shot, Miss Edwards. Always, you always felt like she had a fair shot, and that. Um, and that she would give you, she would give you the advice or the scolding from a place of love. Like you never felt that she didn't care about you, and that in itself made you feel a certain way. And I know for me, it gave me a certain level of confidence because of the way that she used to just talk to me and just make me feel like I can do anything in the world if my principal believes in me. <laughs> if she believes I'm great, then maybe I'm great. Mm -hmm. Like maybe, maybe I'm great. And the coaches, man, the coaches. I really would like to say a lot of the, they they raised us in a certain extent because they spent the most time with us every day, five days a week. They spent the most time with us. They told us a lot of the lessons in life that we we got a lot of. You know, some some guys you know they they did grow up out there on that field, man. And and those days under those lights and under that sun and under that rain were some of the best days of their lives because of some of the lessons they learned and some of the things they learned about themselves in that process. Those coaches those coaches man our coaches that we had in that area i like to look at them as influencers I, I do feel like it's an era of those coaches that we can never see again nope i just don't see it definitely can't because they coach is tough remember that one football practice where somebody was talking when the offense was installing the game plan for friday and i think it was either coach Carlson or somebody on the staff said everybody line up at the goal line and they made us run goal line to goal line but touch every five yards. Man. <laughs> we wanted to I jump who was, was in the locker room. I thought, that started break, <laughs> I thought she was going to break out the time and made us get on the goal line and roll. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Well, you you know what? That might you know have what? been with y'all class because I graduated a year before you because you graduated in 05, right? Oh, six. You was, oh, six. I was 04. You was two on me. You was 04. 04. You was two on me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you were. I think that was that might have been 05. It might have been uh, 05. Yeah, I was about to say I won't death for that one, but you know, I, I heard I, I heard the stories because I can remember <laughs> going to BBT Field when y'all made it to the state championship to play Elkin and how it was pretty much like a family slash class reunion, because pretty much half of Gaston, Runner Rapids, Weldon came out, even some other schools that were in our conference at the time. 
came yeah. out to show support for y'all when y'all made that deep run. So talk yeah. about how special that run was for you all getting the state. It was huge. I mean, to, it was the first time. It was it was historic, right? But the interesting thing about history or making history is you don't realize it. You don't realize it while you're in the moment. You're just running through it, just trying to see through the fog. So you don't really realize that you're making history and setting the bar and setting the standards. Um, it was a – I'll say that it did start – it kind of started like every other year. It started like – just like you and I know, like it started like – Season of 04, right? Like 04, you know, we had a we had a hell of a backfield. We had a hell of a team that right. We had a, a hell of a one, right? But it started just like that. It started, it started in this, our season started the same way. Um, we didn't really do anything particularly different. We knew that we had experience. We knew that everybody that's that was we knew that at least 22 of us had been playing with each other. My God, since Little League, right? Like, so we knew that the chemistry was there. The chemistry, the chemistry was there. Um, and so we approached it like every other season. And not, I don't think we really realized how special of a season we was having. I think until we, until we lost our first game, um, I think it was Charlotte Country Day, Charlotte Country Day, um, we was undefeated. And at that point, like we really got it. at that point, it might have been seven, six, seven and zero, oh, somewhere, somewhere in that range, somewhere in that range. But it was the only game that we lost that season outside of the uh, state championship game. So once we got over that hump, and we kind of like as we was going through the conference, and then kind of just dusting off everybody in the conference, and really was it was no rivals. It was it was any rivals that we had. It was it was it was really no no real competition like that to be honest. Um, so. Once we got, once we finished out the season, um, so no, I think we, all right, no, after we got that, after we got that, after we got through conference play, we kind of watched the seating. And so once we saw where we were in the seating, at that point, it was just like, all right, who do we play? We're playing people in our conference. Okay, win, 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 right? And the only competition that we really felt like we had was Manio. Manio was funny. Fun fact: the 016, they lost to Manio. I think the following the following season, and their bid in running to the state championship. I believe they lost to yeah, Manio. I think I think so. Yeah. So the year prior. Like so, our so our last year we played Manio was a hell of a game. Ended up uh, being a really good game. Southside, Southside was the last game before the state championship. That was the game. Truth be told, honestly, that was like our state championship. I ain't even gonna lie. That was like our state championship, man. Um, to go to Southside, and when we saw like it was it was a it was a ruckus crowd, man. Like it was grown men that was like as we was walking through the you know walking out of the locker room and like walking to the field just grown men just like talking crazy crazy i mean crazy and we felt i mean i well a lot of us we just felt naked out there because you're in a whole different area you know and it's not a home game 
But once we saw, like, we saw the busloads of, like, people from, like, our side from, like, North Carolina West, and it was like, oh, thank you, God. Like, it just changed the whole mood, the whole vibe, the whole aura of, of the whole team. And, man, that was a close one. We almost lost that, actually. We lost that one on a late second touchdown from TJ. But we almost we almost lost that. We almost lost it. But that was – once we once we got to that game, like, I think it felt like a state championship game. We never got that far. Again, like, we didn't – it was out of our wildest imagination that we would go to the state championship game. Like, you know, you think that every year, oh, make a play for the state. Never really happens. Never, never really happens, but just so happened everything lined up that year, and it was a perfect run. It was a perfect run to the state championship game. Um, and even in the state championship game, man, it was a. I mean, we started out strong. We started out really strong. I mean, we came out, hit them in the mouth. Really, just hit them in the mouth, and then from there, they adjusted. They adjusted. They adjusted very well. They adjusted very well, man. They were calling out our own plays. They knew what we was doing before we was doing, man. <laughs> so pretty much they were like Luke Keekley out there, pretty much in your playbook. Pretty much. I mean, I can recall a couple of plays that they that mean they the way they lined up, you knew they knew where we were going at that point, you know. And the interesting part is we never prided ourselves, you know, even back in our days. I don't really know kind of too much how it is now, but we wasn't really a throwing team. It wasn't really an air assault team like that. We, we, we pounded that ball. It. Yeah, we, we're running it. So it's easy to it's easy to predict. And that didn't mean that we didn't have really good wide receivers. We had great wide receivers. You know, we had uh we had Peel, we had Sean Peel, uh Antoine Garner, Idrell. He was a he was a hell of a receiver. So it's not like we didn't have receivers that that came through there, you know. We had a couple of plays in the package that we would throw, but it was mostly pounding the ball, man. But it was a hell of a run, though. We, like I said, it was, it was, it was. I wish I was. I was just talking to um, I was just talking to one of my friends the other day, and we were just talking about actually was talking about that, and I was like, man, I wish somebody had the foresight to uh to 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 videotape it, to record, like just record us that entire year. I mean, it would make for a hell of a documentary, man. It was. It'll make for a hell of a documentary. I just wish we, I wish we would uh, actually have somebody would have thought of doing that, man. Yeah, and North Carolina County, I believe, is one of the few counties in the state of North Carolina that has not claimed a state championship in any sport. A couple of years ago, the Jaguars went to state, played against Robbinsville, lost, and hopefully they're looking at making another deep run into the playoffs this year. And since yeah. they got rid of the double-A, single-A classification, it looks like on the 1A eastern side, all roles going to lead to Tarboro because, you know, Tarboro, they don't produce no slouches. See, exhibit A, Tart Gurley. Right. Very true. <laughs> Very true. I didn't know I didn't know that they did that with the classes, though. I didn't know that they broke them. I didn't know that they did that. Yeah, it was like a year or two ago, oh, wow. uh, NCHSAA, they got rid of the single-A, double-A classification for playoffs, and now they're throwing everybody in the pot, no matter if you're single-A or double-A. So, wow. yep. Wow. Would have never guessed that. <laughs> I would have I would have ne never guessed that at all. Mm. It's, it's actually pretty interesting now that you yeah. bring that up. Yeah, and what's interesting is that it was a couple of years after we both graduated that North Carolina County Schools decided to consolidate 
Northampton West and Northampton East and combined them as one. And I felt had they would have did that when we played and even further back to some of those 90s teams, we would have had a couple of state championships in the case by now. Yeah, we would have had those. Easy. Yeah, we, we, we would have definitely had those hands down. Hands down. No question. No question in my mind. No question in my mind. We had some talented athletes to come through that school, man. Both counties. Mm-hmm. Both counties. Yeah. Sure. Anthony Roberts, Vic DeMassenberg, Amos Betts, um, Chip. Chip. I, in fact, I Chip is I, – I, I know Chip, and um, I just ran into Chip in the store in my neighborhood literally a few weeks ago. Yeah. Ago. It was a chance running. It was a chance running. Saw him on the side. I recognized the face. Didn't even call him his real name. Just called him Chip, and he instantly like looked up and knew. So it was like it was a chance. It was a chance meeting, man. So we actually chopped it up a little bit and talked about Coach Chase a little bit and just kind of just him. Yeah, and can we just speak on the impact of Coach Chase? How he coached West East. I believe he had coached at Hereford County as well, right? And just the influence that he had on all the generations of athletes that played under him in the Ronald Valley and how it was such a major blow when he passed. Um, Huge, man. Coach Hasty. I've been around Coach Hasty. Man. Far as back as I can remember, um, me me and John Carlo came up like two peas in the pods as kids, man. So I was always around him, and I never really knew. I mean, obviously you knew. Like, he was involved in, like, different leagues and stuff that we played in and stuff, and just being around Giancarlo, like, he was there. Um, he was there. And it just you just didn't know that you was – you didn't know how much of a giant he was. You didn't really – you didn't really know um, until you played for him. And then once you played for him, you kind of you kind of understood. And he had major respect. Um, from one end of the county to the other end of the county. And it showed. It showed in his, his players. It showed in just the overall effect of what people would say about him and how they would react to him. But he was major in my in my athletic life. He was major from the very beginning, like elementary school from the very beginning. He was always an impactful figure there for me. Um, even when he wasn't my coach, he would always, like, pull me to the side and, Tell me what I should do, what I did wrong, what I need to improve. Like he would always do that. And like when we lost him, it was a major blow because um to me, he was one of the coaches that you would look at as the holy grail. You know, like if you was ever to to become a coach or go down that lane, even with life, even with life, man. He was somebody that you could you could talk to. He had he was funny, he was funny in itself. You had to know him. And know his inside jokes and just kind of know just kind of how you're gonna <laughs> how you gonna respond back to you. But no man, he was he was impactful. His his losing him was was a major blow, I think, to athletics at home. I mean, we can, you know, we can create get a bunch of different names, we can put a lot of different people in place, but you can't replace the man. You can't replace the impact that he had. Yeah, definitely cannot RP Coach Hasty. I didn't think we would get Coach Hasty after Coach Grady left to go over to Weldon, but to get Coach Hasty and what he instilled in us was that grit, that toughness. And it was where you literally had to pretty much 
put on your hard hat, your buckle up your bootstraps, because you were going to go full tilt all day, every day in practice. All day, every day. No excuses. No excuses. No corners cut. No none of that. None, none of that. You you can you can talk and joke and laugh all you want. You will run till your tongue fall out. <laughs> you, mm. <laughs> so yeah, man, it, it it was. They were they were huge, man. Coach Hayes was huge. Mm. He was huge. Yeah. He taught so many. If you think about it, think about it like a family. So think about all the 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 athletes that he had. Like we're all we're all like his offspring in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Of all the things that he taught us, and all the things that we picked up from him, because no what, no matter what anybody says, if you were out out there on the field with him, you out of out of that entire season, you took something. Mm-hmm. Whether it was whether it was one thing or a hundred things, it was something that you took that you took there that you could equate that not only with the football field but with life. Mm-hmm. They gave you jewels they imparted wisdom on you that you necessarily didn't get at the time but as you get older and start to have a family of your own and go through life matriculating you understand the jewels that they were dropping on you i mean you were late to practice give me two laps don't let no helmet be on the ground pick it up who helmet is this give me two swipe give me two So, you know, it was definitely, you know, fun times being on that football field. And I wonder if you wonder why we n- never beat Conway at, when we are at Gaston Middle. But when they got the East, it was light work. 4-4-0 King of the County game. Never lost. In the words of Lonzo LaMelo Ball's daddy. Never lost against North at the East. But, That's true. But when... We played Conway. We could never beat Conway for some strange reason. I don't know why. Must be something in the water over there. I think it must be. It had to be something in the water, man, because you're right, though. You're absolutely right. We couldn't, for whatever reason, we could never beat Conway in middle school. I don't know why. And when they got to East, I don't know if it was a – maybe it was a system. Maybe it was a system that they ran in Conway Middle that may have been different at – Northampton East, and maybe maybe the system affected the play. Mm, I don't know. That's the only thing I could possibly possibly come up with because it doesn't really make other than other than thinking like you know maybe they didn't advance. Maybe they hit their like you know hit their hit their ceiling, hit their ceiling early, and we just happened to hit our ceiling a little bit later. Mm. <laughs> Possible. Yeah, Possible. May, maybe. Um, can we talk about? I never played basketball at West, but I know you did. Speak on the impact of Coach White. Wow, wow, I always heard that, his name, but I never wow. knew of the influence that he had because I never played ball. But I'm sure he wow. had a big impact on y'all on the hardwood. Man, man, that's a man, okay. Well. Okay, so Coach White had a had an impact because if if you came up through the Garrisburg through the Garrisburg Elementary side, um, he was there. We had leagues there that we was playing in. Um, he taught PE there at the school, so a lot of us from that side already knew Coach White. So by the time we was getting to high school, it was like a reintroduction, right? He was, you know, we knew him. 
You know, we knew him, and he was, and I want he was a major, he was a major impact basketball wise. Now, I'll say that for him, and I can speak for me personally. Um, I can't speak for, I won't speak for everybody else because I, I I won't speak for other teammates and no, nobody like that. But uh, for me, um, not even gonna lie, um, Coach White really like he 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 motivated me. Um, he did. He motivated me a lot because Coach White would he would get on you. I mean, he would he would get on you, man. He was that coach that that would yell, that would yell, that would scream, that was just you thought it would pop his top. That was that was Coach White. Um, but for me though. Didn't know it too much then, but now looking back on it, like he did, he motivated me. Like he was the one that I didn't like what he, I didn't like what he was saying a lot of times. I didn't agree with what he was saying a lot of times. I didn't even like how he was coaching me a lot of the times. But I'll say that it's a lot of different buttons that he pressed that I saw results come from, and it was it was a motivating factor. And a lot of times for me, I was like, you know, I'm motivated to shut you up. But not thinking at the same time, what he done was he's he he's he taught a lot of discipline. If you want to talk about discipline, that's what Coach White was, was discipline. And that's the that's the key, right? As a kid, what's the one biggest thing that you hate? Discipline. <laughs> you don't want discipline. You really don't. So what Coach White was, he was such an impact from a standpoint of creating a level of discipline a culture of discipline and if you were on that ship let's roll if you wasn't on that ship you can get out and here's the door leave your jersey here leave all that stuff here go ahead and hit the door so he was a he he impacted i think he impacted us more on that discipline side and even from a basketball side for us that that already knew him from our time in Garrysburg and some of the guys that met him coming up, coming, let's say they were going to, let's say going to Rich, Rich Square, right? Like, yeah, going to Square. We knew him from elementary school. So he was already, and he was already a major figure in our lives early. Like, this, just Tina Bop was like, just little kids running around elementary school. We was already, he was already coaching, we was already in different leagues there. So when it got, so we got time for us playing in high school, we knew him. We knew what to expect from him. We knew how he would operate. And typically, that's why I always typically worked out him having pretty, pretty good teams. Never really heard of White having, never really heard of Coach White having a horrible, horrid team. You're going to have fundamentals. You're going to have discipline. You know, those are things you're going to have. And you're going to have heart. Fundamentals, discipline, and heart. You're going to have those three. So he was, he was, he was major. He was a major impact basketball wise, for sure. Mm, and you mentioned how those of you that grew up in Garrisburg already had familiarity with Coach White coming up in Little League and things of that nature. And everybody that grew up Gaston on my side pretty much had to get familiar with them once they tried out for the team and eventually made it. But at the time, right. people, um, North Indian County, there was two elementary schools on the western end of the county. You had Squire Elementary School and Garrisburg Elementary School, which is now a community center. And yeah. how a lot of us didn't really meet for the first time until sixth grade orientation at Gaston Middle School, which used to be a high school at the time uh, <laughs> when 
our parents were going to school there and how it almost felt like a game, so to speak, at middle school orientation because Squire would sit on one side, Gettysburg would sit on one side, and it wasn't <laughs> until you got to do the tour, you start the bonding, interacting, and start, you know, forming right. friendships with one another, except for when right. it came to P, because it was always either Gaston versus Garrisburg, Hook Road versus Henrico, or whatever other little section that you were from. That was the only time that the differences matter. But other than that, everybody linked up and started clicking once sixth grade hit. And when you figured out, like, oh, we're all going to go to the same school now. True. That's true. It was it was interesting once once the teams were made too. Like once the teams, I think, the, let's see, seventh grade. So once the teams were made seventh grade, that was that was always different. It was different. It was very different. It was interesting because we were playing with guys that were from Gaston. We didn't know nothing about really playing with guys from Gaston, and they had a different type of a had a different vibe. Not a bad vibe. They just had a different vibe. You know, I can, for example. In my time, let's say, let's see, seventh, eighth grade, two years, and let's say four years. Where so six years, okay, so six years of basketball from seven from middle school to high school, right? I played with three different point guards the whole time: Gary Burgess, Robert Price, you know Robert Price, Pee Wee, uh-huh. and, and Tyus Lee, TJ. But he only played for a year, right? But he played in middle school, so right. So, um, but yeah, man, Gary and Pee Wee, those were the two. Those are the two point guards that I had, middle school and high school. So it was interesting. Um, with you know, when you're talking about styles, you know, you're talking about styles of play. You know, Pee Wee and Gary had you know different styles of play. So it was it was so. Getting into that that team when we all got into that team because because think about it if you're looking at it from a perspective of Garrysburg coming into Gaston right you got some of the best players that was coming from Garrysburg Elementary and some of the best players that were already coming from Gaston and as you know at the same time there were also players that was in school with us that could have played on the team mm-hmm. that were good enough to play on the team but mm-hmm. we didn't know that until PE right. Like we didn't know, we didn't know who actually could ball like that until PE, and then you know it takes for somebody that's not on the team to bust somebody up on the court that is on the team for they start rolling through the school. Oh yeah, he he can hoop. He the real deal. <laughs> yeah, he the real deal. Real real time, real deal. But it was it was it was interesting combining the two though, man. Like it was interesting. It was an interesting thing, and it. And they were actually jailed pretty quick. I don't think we had too much of issues from either. Yeah, no, we didn't have too many issues because actually we had a really good coach there too, who was actually a really good coach that nobody talks about. Coach McCall. Uh, Mr. McCall? Yeah, because of Mr. McCall, I still say plug and chug to this day. Yes, sir. I still say bonehead to this day because of him, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, it's just crazy the impact that these teachers have made on us yeah. um, two plus decades later, three plus decades later now, if you think about it. And you yeah. graduated Northampton West in 06, right? Right. Right. And then you ended up matriculating to where for undergraduate? NC State. I went to NC State, man. Yeah. So, so what was that like for you coming from small rural North Carolina 
going to Raleigh, NC State, Wolfpack. And did you ever feel at the time when you were on the campus like, hey, maybe it's something about this that's a little too big for me feeling coming from our area like I don't belong and maybe being the only one in a classroom and being around a lot more diversity than what our area was. Um, it was a culture shock. Like it was a, it was a huge culture shock. One of the best things that, one of the best things I did have going at the time was not only was I going, but I had my best friends that was going too. So I, I had, I had TJ and Porky and Algero that was going too. Now we didn't plan this. It just randomly happened that way. And we didn't all sit down and just say, oh, hey, I'm going to apply here. You know, let's, we didn't do that. It just so happened. We just kind of all found out and was going. So it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, I got the boys. I got my boys. I mean, they're not the reason I'm going, but it's it's great to have them. So they helped the transition process because I had some people there that I knew, right? But once we broke that chain, it was a culture shock. It was a huge culture shock. And there were overwhelming moments um, that I had in that time frame. There were major overwhelming moments that I had. Um, one of the first moments that I, I realized that I wasn't in sweet old gassing anymore is like my for one of my first papers in English class, right? In high school, you have English AP, so you think that you're decent writer, right? Mm-hmm. Other than that first English class, come back and it's just like red, 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 just horrible. And it's just kind of like, I thought I did a good job. Like, I thought I knew what I was doing. Like, I, I thought. But it was another level that I had to, another level of understanding that I had to gain. And so that was a little difficult, you know? And, you know, and it was, it was, it was just at the first point, it just felt like it was so much, so many people, a foreign place trying to get acclimated, but then also understanding like you are a minority there and the, the ills of being a minority there as well. Like, you know, you kind of have to operate a certain way and you have to always, you know, be prepared for something that may happen that may not be um, something that you will respect, such as somebody may call you out of your name. Somebody may call you an N-word. You might hear that thrown around. Case in point, 2008, when Obama won uh, presidency, I don't know if you remember or not, but there was a lot of stuff going on in our Freedom Expression Tunnel where they were just putting all kinds of just nasty, nasty words, man, and just just in light of Obama winning. That affects you, though, right? Like, that affects you. You, you know that somebody did it. You know they did it with intention, but you don't really know who did it. So that's overwhelming, too, because that's it's teaching you early on, and this is one of the reasons why I went to NC State, was because for some reason at 17, um, I knew that I looked at the world bigger than Northampton County, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt like, let me get my trial of fire early because I felt like it's a certain aspect of people and cultures that I don't even, I don't know. I don't know. But I knew or, or felt like I had the foresight that once I graduated, I would be like immersed in this environment, this culture, this melting pot and have to figure out how I need to walk. So 
So my thought process when it came down to even going to state, it wasn't about my friends. Um, I went. I was going to NC State uh, to football camps like two years leading up to it. So that's how I got my introduction to state, and that's really why I like fell in love with it. And was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna come here. But I looked at it as an opportunity um, to be able to see just different cultures and a different way of things. And that was how I made my decision. And it was overwhelming and it was a culture shock because I wasn't used to the things that I was seeing at state. You know, not that it was a bad thing, but I wasn't used to seeing a kid that was 17 years old or 18 years old with a Range Rover that their mom and daddy just bought them. You know, I wasn't used to seeing that. I wasn't used to seeing, you know, kids just being able just to go and just really do whatever they want to do without no consequence. Like, I wasn't used to that. I wasn't used to any of this stuff. Like I wasn't used to, I wasn't used to just kind of like having to figure out even talking to people, you know, you can't talk to everybody the same, you know, you can't, you can't, you, you would like to, but you, you just can't. So it was just a lot of little things that I was just learning through the years that were just culture shock. But it, at the same time, um, the experiences that I saw, um, the things that I learned, um, the things that I've gone, uh, places that I've gone, and the things that I've done, you know, by way of NC State, I wouldn't change at all. Um, it, it helped. It helped a lot. Shout out to my younger self. I don't. I don't even know how I even got to that point as a young guy. I really didn't even know how to explain it to my parents because, um, of course, um, they 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 definitely um, liked the idea of state, but I don't think they really really wanted me to go to state originally. I think originally, you know, uh, tradition going to Central, actually. Central is original where that was they wanted me to go. But, um, you know, I pulled a bandit off and went right when, you know, somebody, <laughs> when they thought it should have went left. Yeah, um, your thought process was very similar to mine's and the reason why I chose UNCG uh, for me was culture shock. And you kind of felt you got your slice of the HBCU culture, you know, like you mentioned, Central Central's just stone throw from state at uh, yeah. Greensboro. You got A&T right up street from UNCG. And you also have Winston-Salem State right up Interstate 40. So you still could kind of get immersed in yeah. the Black culture, even though you're in a predominantly white space. And we're kind of sort of seeing now the reversal of a lot of students who are African-Americans going back to HBCUs. And I mean, look at the impact that Deion Sanders has had on Jackson State and what Eddie George is doing at Tennessee State and how they're managing to take these top 300, 400 recruits that would mm -hmm. be looking at these predominantly white institutions and saying, hmm, let me go to this HBCU. Whereas for some of you that may not know, if you look at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, a lot of those comprised from HBCUs. I mean, the greatest Absolutely. wide receiver of all time, Jerry Rice, Mississippi Valley State. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I think it's I think it's amazing the shift, though. I mean, because you think about it, the culture has to shift every three to five years, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it has to change every three to five years to some degree. So I think it's amazing that that what Dion is doing with 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 Jackson State, I think it's amazing that the spotlight is coming back, and I know that it'll take work, but it's good because you it's powerful, right? You take some of the top athletes in the country and you place them home in HBCUs. You help out is 
you help out in so many ways, man. You bring in attention to the university. You're bringing the well-needed funds that's needed at some of these universities. You're bringing that too. And you're keeping it home. Man, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I, but the thing that I'm scared about though is what will the uh will it be any blowover or 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 would it be any uh how many how much how much of a punch back would it would that be? Because how many, how many of the top recruits? You're gonna take away from these power conferences going to HBCUs. How how much is that is gonna happen until you know somebody steps in and put in some kind of a rule or statute or something that kind of that changes the narrative of these these top talented athletes going to HBCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also want to throw in there the work that Coach Lavelle Moten is doing over at Central. Yes. Yes, he's doing an awesome job. He's doing an amazing job, man. He's got Central on the map. They've been to the NCAA tournament a couple of times, right? Mm, yeah, they, they've been in the NCAAs a couple of times. And Chris Paul, I believe it was a year or two ago, did a documentary on ESPN Plus, right. Why Not Us? So everybody got to see the work that he's doing with those young men at Central, even when working with his own son, who's playing ball and just really pouring into him along with his players and he's a product of you know Raleigh went to I believe Enloe High School also the same mm-hmm. high school where Nate McMillan played uh PJ yeah. Tucker and fun fact Nate McMillan played two years at Showan University oh, wow. which was Showan College at the time before he went on to NC State right that's right <laughs> that is a, that's a that's a key fun fact right there man not many people know about Nate McMillan playing at Shawan University. Well, Shawan College at the time before it was Shawan University. That is a that's a fun fact. They had an awesome basketball camp they used to have out there. I think the coaches might have been Coach Burke. I don't know if he's still there or not. Only reason why I know that because of the great Coach Hasty. I know <laughs> Shawan because of Upward Bound and Upward Bound. Oh, that's right. Great program. Great program for students who are interested in going to college who may come from first-generation college students, families, uh, fairly funded by TRIO. And it really gave you an opportunity to say, hey, I can go to college. And it's because of Upward Bound. Right. UNCG was on my radar because initially I always wanted to go to Carolina. I did too. I always wanted to always wanted to be a Tar Heel, wear that Tar Heel blue. But I had a cousin that went there. Was like, uh, you can go there if you want to, but I'm gonna give you the real. That ain't gonna give you when they give you that tour if you this. Right. I I wanted to go there too, man. I went to uh camp the uh Project Uplift. I did too. And that's that's the that 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 program is what kind of. Took me out, took Carolina off the radar for me. Cool mm-hmm. program, had a good time, but I don't know. I just Chapel. I think the Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill just didn't do it for me. I think Raleigh was just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Trade in, trade. Interesting, right? Trade, trade for Hillsborough Street, mm-hmm. Franklin Street for Hillsborough Street. It's no comparison, truth be told. No, because, you know, being in Greensboro, we had a lot of kids at UNCG's campus that would go to GHO, A&T's homecoming, like they were at A&T because there was majority of folks from my area that was already in Greensboro at A&T. 
So you would kind of hit somebody up, like, hey, uh, let me get your uh, student discount ticket real quick. But, you know, college, I would recommend if that's what you want to do, go ahead. You'll have the best four plus years of your life. And as we're seeing now with the internet and with everybody saying college is not the only blueprint to success now. It was what we was told, like college is the only way to really achieve and make some of yourself. But as we know, you know, trade schools are very vital. You can go to uh, auto diesel school or another specialty school, work that for a couple of years and get you a good job straight out. So it's like the game has changed to where it's like, why go into all this big debt when I could just go to a trade school for half of that, even less, and get a right. good paying job when I'm out? Right. I mean, it, it makes sense to a certain degree, right? Because th- because it's, it has such a trickle-down effect, and I really want kids to understand this when they're thinking about certain things because they don't, it's a lot of things that, that I'm not going to say they didn't tell us. I'll say that they were there, that it was there, but maybe it was a level of understanding that was that we didn't necessarily get grasp or have, right? Mm-hmm. But you're right. College may not be for everyone. Um, and you can have the trades. And even with the trades, you can get a good job, but you can also go and you can be an entrepreneur. You can start your own, you can start your own business just from having a trade and go and not even have any debt. And the thing is, if you think about the average college student, you go in, you go into college, you don't really know what you want to do per se. You go and take out a loan. Now you got this crazy debt. You go to school for four years. You decide that you don't want to go back for another two for your master's. Now you got sixty-five thousand, you know, potentially sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars hanging over your head in student loan debt that you got to pay back. But you got to get a job first. So most of us don't get the big, nice, fancy jobs at twenty-two years old. Some of us gotta, you know, get it out of mud. Some of us gotta work a part time here, part time there, one full time, one part time, work two jobs, make ends meet. But here's the thing: you still got that over your head. So now you want to go buy a house, right? Now your D to I is crazy, so you can't even buy you a house. You can't even go buy you a house now because you, your student loans are so high and you're getting spanked with the interest on it, and you can't do anything. Now you're now you're handcuffed to a to a sense, but think about it. If you if you started early, right? If you decided that you didn't want to go to college, let's say that you want to go to some apprenticeship programs, or let's say you want to get some certifications. Cheap in. Now you have those. You have that information, and now you're going to start whatever career is you want to do. So you have more of the leverage to your to your to your standing. You don't even have major debt over your head. So now at Let's say if you're 22, 3, 4, you can realistically buy your house at 25, 26. Mm-hmm. So it's a different way of thinking. It's a it's a it's a different, it's a like you said, it's a different way of thinking. Um, whereas for us, I thought college. Go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college, get a degree. Oh, and the smoke and mirrors is always there. Go to college and get a degree. With that degree, you're gonna be amazing. So as soon as you walk across that stage and apply for your jobs, you're going to be awesome. Mm. You're going to get the number one job that you apply for, and it's, you're going to be great. You're going to make so much money. And it's like, oh, you believe it, right? Then the real world happens. <laughs> and it punches you in the face just like 1986 Mike Tyson. But I'm going to tell you another little secret. 
that will help shave some debt if college is your thing. Don't tell nobody to tell you this, but early college. I'll say it louder for those in the cheap seats. Early college. You can get your associates, have two years of college credit, shave off half the time, and half the money if you're not able to get scholarships. Two time for those in the back. Yes, sir. Early college. Right. I'll say it again. Early college. Not ICDC, not DeVry, <laughs> not ITT Tech, <laughs> not Sackleson State University, not no bootleg college, but early college. If you have college aspirations, parents, and you have kids that want to go to college, get them in the early college so that way they can have two birds, one stones, your wallets will thank you later. Or if or start saving early, 529. Get a 529. Start putting a little bit away at a time. So that by the time they do want to go to college or trade school, they already have a nice little nest egg. So that way they can get started. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that. I wish I had I don't, what was the early college? Was was that available for us? No, I, no, I didn't uh, think so. I, I think we came too early when they started doing all of that, like Kip and then Arvec, and you know, because had that would have been around when we were in school, I would have oh. my mom like, Mom, let me go here. But as we're seeing with the prolifer proliferation of those schools, is pretty much poaching the best and the brightest students out of public school. So it kind of has some ramifications of that where public schools is kind of looked at as uh, just a glorified eight-hour daycare. All the best and the bright kids are at the early colleges where right. they're among the likes. And, you know, right. I right. feel that public schools in the country needs a complete overhaul. I used to be an educator. I know this for a fact, taught special ed. Pay teachers. I'm going to say it again. Pay teachers. If you want to retain teachers, pay them because a lot of teachers are working second jobs to supplement what they're getting. And the caseload and the work is more than what you're paying. That right. was one of the main reasons why I dipped out of education because for me, right. the work was just too much. And at the end of the day, it was like, man, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. But another right. piece of advice for any kid that wants to go to college and you're registering for classes, High school 8 a.m. is different from college 8 a.m. I'm going to say it again. High school 8 a.m. is different from college 8 a.m. And also, do not go wilding if your dorm have 24-7 visitation. Because I know you're going to be like Alan Payne in New Jack City when you see all the ladies at orientation. <laughs> Said the latest. Oh, oh Lord. Lord. the latest. The latest. Because you sitting there looking, thinking, okay, she's two in the possible. Um, I got a full house hand right here. Okay, I may go, I may run a Boston on that one, but uh, I don't do spades. But if you know what a Boston is, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But college is the best time of your life. But don't let it be the worst time of your life in that department. Because I'm sure there were some folks that got that call from somebody that said, hey, what you doing? Man, why? Uh, my roommate gone home for the weekend. Oh, word? Pack that bag. And we all know what's about to go down when that bag is packed. And when oh, that, late no. night, that late night walk goes down. Like, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get caught in the morning, sir. You see the you see the sock on the door? Don't come in no more. 
know what it is. I never partake in any of the activities myself. I just know folks who did. I ain't saying no names. I ain't saying no hey. names. Cause I know some people probably are having happily married lives with whole families right now. You're not trying to get like Tom Brady and be by yourself. I ain't saying no names. But no. like I said, college is, is the best time of your life. Use it yeah. to the full extent. Make it worth your while. And after you got your undergraduate from NC State, uh, yes. where did you go for your master's degree? So for the master's degree, again, I was thinking, I always try to think like five, ten years ahead, right? And so some people tell me I'm like super analytical. I think too deep into things. Can't really see why decisions is being made is being are being made. So at the time, um, I saw the thing as far as like online and stuff. I was like, yo, let's let's make something happen. So I ended up going to a university, North Central University, for the M for the MBA program. Like after I saw the analysis of the program at state and for what I needed, because I was doing back at state. So made the decision to go uh over to North Central North Central, obviously because of uh, money wise, it was better. Um and I liked the program. I like actually it was more about the program. It was more about the one-on-one -on -one module that you feel. And that's at that time where I was in my life and as far as just trying to get my brain to understand and slow down, I chose I chose to go there and I chose the model, the setup. So I, that's what I did, man. That was the that was the NBA. Mm. Now when you were at state was Rhapsody's name getting kind of a buzz before she hooked up with Ninth Wonder, because I know she was with the group Cooley High and rapping with them before she linked up with Ninth and uh, started her solo career. So was her name buzzing around the independent circles right around the time when you hit State's campus, or was she already hooked up with Ninth Wonder at this point? Um, So when I first hit State campus, it wasn't really buzzing like that. Um, Only until kind of going into like the, the middle to later years where you started hearing more about Cooley High. Uh, when I got there, it was primarily, if you're talking about local, it was Little Brother, like Little Brother, like that was... At that time, it was like, okay, they, Durham, you know, associate them, Knife Wonder, right? Um, but so Cooler How was just really starting to get that buzz. They were still doing local local shows. Like, they were still doing local shows, um, local open mic, open mics, and having open mic night and stuff. So it, they hadn't really got to that. They hadn't really got to that, like, that super buzz, probably until I think I was getting ready or just had graduated or get like a couple years after that. But while I was there, there was just it was the momentum was building. It was starting to build. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can remember when Rhapsody appeared on the BT Cipher, and when it mm -hmm. said Snow Hill, North Carolina, on there, I was like, "Oh snap! She she from about like a little hour plus from the crib." So it was yeah. definitely yeah. you know great to see you know her finally get on and the success that she's having now. And of course, mm -hmm. we got to mention the basketball pipeline that comes from Kinston with legends such as Cedric Cornbread, Maxwell, Jerry Stackhouse, Reggie Bullock, B.I., Brandon Ingram. And it just goes on and on because, I mean, there's something in the barbecue in Kinston because they just churn out basketball players like it's nothing down yeah. there. And Kinston, like I said, yeah. is like an hour-plus drive down 95 from the crew. Yeah, 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 it is. I met some good people from Kinston, man, some really good people. Uh, for Kansas. I actually met good people from Kansas and NC State. Contrary to popular belief, NC State has about, NC State is a city within a city. 
right? So you got about 35, 45, almost 50,000 kids at one university. However, inside of that, there's a, there's a black community. And we're we are the size of probably like HBCU, give or take. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a it's a black community within the big NC State picture, right? Um, so that community was 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 big. Like everything and it is crazy because we tried to conduct ourselves as if we were HBCU. We're not. We wasn't. Like we had fraternities and sororities and step shows and all of that stuff, but it, it's not the same feel. Right. It was sports at NC State. Right. It was it was the sports. It was the parades. It was all of that, you know. But yeah, man, it we had a community within the community, man. Yeah. And within that community, like music was big. Underground music was huge, 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 huge. Um, and Raspity, like she would be you would see her on campus. It was nothing to see her on campus. It was nothing to see her at a pub on Hillsborough Street, Cooley High at a pub on Hillsborough Street, or a festival at State, or something. It, it was, you know, you would see her around. You would see them around, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, UNCG is kind of the same way where the Black students there had their own sense of community, and you knew most of the Black students at UNCG when that would come out for events when it was time for probate, yeah. or yep. when it was basketball season, because UNCG doesn't have a football team. So, you know, that's the... Go ahead. I always wondered about that. Like, even when it was like coming out like, and choosing schools and stuff, like, I always wonder, like, why don't G have a football team? All right, so let me tell you why. UNCG okay. originally was an all female school, and it didn't become co ed until I believe 67 or 68. So that was the primary reason why UNCG does have a football team because of the fact that originally uh. it was all, all female. So, soccer, okay. basketball, pretty much the big yeah. sports only went. For men's basketball, I went to a couple of uh, women's games as well. But the highlight for me, um, basketball-wise, was seeing the men's team do well in the SoCon Conference, but also having the privilege to seeing Chef Curry cook before he started cooking in the league. <laughs> because Davidson True. was in the same conference with UNCG at the time, because I can remember seeing him and like who this little bitty boy with no facial hair but his range was full grown <laughs> but little did we know that he would have kids now wanting to shoot half court threes and not do a mid-range jump shot change the game change the entire face of the game it put a lot of players out of the league <laughs> Like it, it, it just it, it, it completely revolutionized the game. Like nothing, nothing was the same. <laughs> no, no. Like I said, you you'd be lucky to get a kid to do a mid-range jump, but they just want to be like Steph, pull up from 30, 35 feet. Also, Dame Lillard and Trey Young have that type yeah. of range as well. But yeah. it's interesting to see how back when we came up for sports, primarily football and basketball, game has changed. How in football you can't be as physical. That you once right. was, um, you know, it's almost like two-hand touch with quarterbacks now. And then with basketball, the evolution of positionless basketball and how big men are now shooting threes, whereas yeah. back when we were playing, that was unheard of to have a center shoot a three. It was totally unheard of. You stand in the post. You stand in the paint. Back you to the basket. not step out. And shoot a three. If you stepping out and shoot a three, you'll be sitting. You'll be sitting on the bench. You're sitting beside the coach. Sitting beside the coach on the bench. They will literally pull you and yank you for stuff like that. 
Like, mm -hmm. it's crazy now that that's like normal. Like we were literally taught that that's a bad shot. You're shooting a 30 foot jump shot. That's a horrible shot. You're shooting from half court in transition. Like that's horrible. Like it, that's what we were taught anyway. Mm. So you're right. Like now, when you look at it, it's interesting because it's it's the game. This is the normalized way that we play basketball now, and it's positions. And if you can get you a six eleven, seven foot guy with a seven eleven wingspan that can shoot like no tomorrow and can dribble and put it on the floor, you might tank for that. Yo, imagine if Giannis develops a three point shot. Scary. I mean, he that already got everything else now, but if he gets a three-point shot, it's going to be trouble, trouble, trouble. Big, big trouble. That would be scary for the league. Um, I, 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 hate, I would be scared for the league. Giannis with a three-point shot, man, that would make him easily average about 30, probably at least 32. Mm, yeah, but if you also think about it, too, with the NBA, how the rules – are pretty much not the where you can't play defense like the bad boys Pistons where you can hack everybody when you come to the lane. Michael Jordan would cook in today's NBA. No hand checking. You can sure. let me get to the free lane. For I sure. Mean, I, mean, For sure. I mean, he's probably sitting in the owner's box somewhere thinking, do I want to go take my jersey and my shoes out that and just in case break glass and go <laughs> serve these kids this rare air in practice? But y'all, y'all ain't even worthy of my shoes. You can be <laughs> all you all y'all gonna watch the last dance until I say you done and run and go get me my cigars, rookie. <laughs> he would easily average forty, man. He would have if he imagine this. Imagine a Michael Jordan that practiced his three point shot and was shooting like Curry or shooting like his performance. In the uh, I forgot what game it was. Uh, Portland was it six for six in the first, like the first it, half. It was imagine the first half, the destroyed game. Yeah, imagine, imagine, imagine that. You add that to his game, or what it was already. Jesus Christ, he would average forty, hands easy, e easy. easy money. But you got to think easy. about it for the Hornets, though the current players. That's a lot of pressure. You know, the goat yeah. is upstairs. I mean, yeah. he can literally come down, do a fadeaway on you, and go back up to his office and drink right. his little drink and smoke his little cigar. But still, right. you got to go upstairs. Bro, it's I couldn't imagine the type of pressure that that puts on you. It, it's amazing that like LaMelo is performing the way he's performing. He's balling out. Like he's he's a new breed, man. And it doesn't appear that he got any fear. He he looks as though he has no fear. Zero. Mm -mm. Zero. Mm -mm -mm. And the one guy that has looked good so far in the early NBA season that now that he's healthy, Zion. You know, now that the Pelicans have a healthy Zion and yeah. with what Brandon Ingram did last year in the playoffs and yeah. what they show against Phoenix, yeah. New Orleans is definitely going to be a team to watch out for in the West. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think so, too. Um, I'm surprised the Jazz are playing as well as they're playing, mm. considering the trades. Yeah, Rudy yeah. Gobert got traded to Minnesota. Uh, I think uh, what 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 did the kid uh, 
Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell. I think he went to Cleveland. Yeah, Spider is with the Cavs, and that surprised me how well they're playing. But they already got some nice little young pieces with Darius, Darius Garland, uh, Karis LeVert, Jared yeah. Allen, and how they're just meshing very well. But on the back downside of that, the Lakers they need to get somebody with shooting, and it's crazy to see, especially for us. LeBron, I mean, LeBron is about to hit 20 years in the league. I can remember like it was yesterday seeing his high school game on ESPN and him getting drafted because he graduated a year, a year before me. Man, that was crazy. Like, I remember that era in time. Remember the magazine? I think I actually had the actual Slam, copy the Slam magazine. magazine. Oh. East Bay. Man, I, 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 I used to... Oh, man, that's crazy. I, even when LeBron came out, I used to always think in my mind, dang, if he's that good, like, I wonder how he would – I wonder how our local talent would fare against him if he came to play. Mm. That I, used to, I always wanted that. I don't know why, but still wanted, like, you know, mm. how 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 would, the, how would other talent here in our area, like, how would they play him? Because yeah. the closest thing I'll probably say to LeBron James that I've seen as far as in the gym – in our area, as far as just complete dominance in like a game, I don't know if you remember this or not. This is kind of taking it back a little bit. It's kind of pilling it. You probably do, but it's pilling it back a little bit. Do you remember Darius Hargrove, Brunswick? Oh, yes, sir. Brunswick County, man, if you went to the Daily Hurl Holiday Classic, you better <laughs> get there early because whenever Brunswick County and Virginia played, it was standing room only. Darius Hargrove was the truth. Yep. 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 He was. He was, bro. He was the closest thing that I've seen. Like, he was probably one of the best hoopers that I probably saw come through, come through West and with my eyes, at least, you know, like just seeing it. Like, it's unbelievable. If you was like, if you saw it, it, it was unbelievable. It was hell of a performance. Yeah, and it, like you mentioned, how had some of the athletes in our area, Ronald Valley and Southside Virginia, had the same exposure like the kids today where they could put their own highlight tape on YouTube and pretty much distribute it out to these different sites to get more looks. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of these cats would have gone D1. You had quite a few um, back in the day when my dad was playing. Um, you had Cedric Jones out of uh, Weldon. You had Delaney Rudd, who went to Eastman, played in the NBA for a couple of years, then down the road in Rocky Mountain, of course, Julius Peppers, Buck Williams, who played for the Portland Trail Blazers, went to yep. Rocky Mountain High. And, yep. you know, the yep. list goes on and on of the great athletes from the eastern part of North Carolina, who mentioned the Kinston Pipeline. You got Kobe White out of Goldsboro, Jimmy, Jimmy Graham in the NFL out of Goldsboro. Uh, Bam out of Bio, out of Little Washington. Uh, the, the human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins, Washington. And, and how, you know, the eastern side of the state always had talent. But I felt it always got overlooked for the bigger yeah. cities like Raleigh, Durham, the Triangle, and the Triad, Greensboro, Winston, yeah. High Point, and Charlotte. And how I think now college is saying, hmm, let's go to the eastern side of the state and see what we can find. Right. It's talent, man. It's, it's, it's talent, man. It's, you know, it's, it's wild. It's wild that now 
like you said, you can get your game film. You can put together a, a, a whole film movie, upload to YouTube, get crazy clicks, create a buzz, and get a scholarship or get looks just off of that. And it's crazy, right? And before, and you know, it's interesting too, before, you used to have to put up like crazy stats to get scholarship or to get notes or whatever. Now it's like, if you have a great play, no stats, great play, great fundamentals, great skills, you can still get the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy. I mean, when you think about it, mm -hmm. it's just, it's a different, it's such a different, it's such a different era, man. I, I mean, the time was coming up, man, the game for the game for that we could have got together and put up, put up out there like that. Mm. Could you imagine social media in our era? Man, listen, <laughs> crazy, because Think about like with us being so close proximity to VA, just think about what VA was doing in the late 90s, early 2000s with right. everything that was going on athletically and musically. You had Missy, Timbaland, Neptune, right. The Clips. Right. You had right. AI, Michael Vick from the 757. <laughs> then out in Richmond, you got Russell Wilson doing his thing, who later goes to NC State plays there for a little bit before transferring to Wisconsin. Yeah. Russell, Russie, Russie's a cool guy, man. He's a cool guy. Um, we, was there, we came in the same time. I was there at the same time. Yeah, um, I was about to say, were you on the same, on the campus same yeah, time as yeah, uh, Russell yeah. Wilson? Same time, man. Same time. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mario Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, T.A. McClendon. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, 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 I remember T.A. McClendon. His name was buzzing throughout the state because he was setting state records, big running back from Albemarle, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. He was there doing our camps. Um, Tony Baker. I don't remember him at the time. He was setting, he was another one that was setting some stuff, setting some records at the time. A lot of these guys at camps, but a lot of these guys you see there, well, you see Rusty anywhere, man. You can see it in like classes, a couple classes there. Um, what you see is what you get. It ain't no cap. It ain't no cap. Whatever you see on TV is literally what you get is what he is, for real. Like, he's a mild-mannered dude, chill, very laid back, no problems, out the way. And he got Sierra. And he got Sierra. He got Sierra. <laughs> he got Sierra. Some would say he went to Hollywood, man. Some would say he went to Hollywood. And it's kind of causing him to have a pretty horrible year with the Broncos so far. I was just saying, he got Sierra. I don't know how Russ be feeling when he be going to them ATL streets. Because I'm sure he's been there after Midnight Waffle House a couple of times and feel out of place. Like, oh, um, maybe I need to go to Huddle House. This is too, too long <laughs> for me. If you've been to Waffle House after midnight, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to see entertainment. You're yeah. going to get good food. And you may yep. see a couple of fights. You might see some fights. You might you might just see some fights. You, you it's very true, very true. Is anything can happen at Walmart House after twelve after midnight? Man. And the element will be thick, and you know what I mean by the elements. Smelling like um that odious stench of um <laughs> Kermit the Frog and um <laughs> and somebody fun. somebody may want to say uh let me go to my car real quick. Uh, that's your cue to exit when somebody says uh, let me go to my car. Could it not get in license and registration? If you've seen They're White not. Man Can't Jump, the scene where Raymond loses the pickup basketball game and he pulls the knife out on Wesley Snipes, and he said, yep. forget all that. 
I'm gonna go to my car, start shooting everybody. That's your cue to run. <laughs> hey, you want something too old, man? The, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> they, they definitely don't don't want don't want none of that, man. But um, uh, one last thing before we uh end, man, we were just having fun, just reminiscing about our time coming up in the Runoff Valley, your matriculation to. NC State and your master's degree. Just recently, yeah. you made a big list on Forbes. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us man, about um, that. Oh yeah, man. So it's uh, so okay. So recently, I got got inducted into uh, Forbes, the culture. Um, and what it is is it's a platform. Well, more so a it's a society. Uh, you would say one would say a black excellent society, right? So if you see if you spell Forbes out, you get F O R B E S, right? B E S, Black Excellent Society, right? But that's in Forbes. But no, Forbes has, Forbes have is collaborating and partner um here with this platform here, um and I tell you a brief quick rundown. Back in 2017, for the 30 30 under 30 uh 30 under 30 Forbes Summit. Um, there was a notice that there wasn't any representation of us there. And there was a, also an understanding that there needed to be representation of us there at these places, at these tables, right? Um, and so well, the culture was birthed there at the 30 on the 30 summit. That's where it was birthed. That's where it was created. That's where it started. And so this platform is taking all of the all of your top entrepreneurs, your top executives um, that are African-American and creating a large network and a large platform um, to really with an initiative. We have an initiative 2050 to close the, to close the wealth gap with our community in comparison to other communities. Right. And so with this platform, it creates the thing where like we talked about earlier, where. If you take the top African-American executives, the top African-American um, entrepreneurs, um, just in different industries and in different fields, what happens is we create this we create this big network that the younger generation that comes up won't have to go through nearly as much as, let's say, I did or you did when trying to make position and trying to get into these industries. When you say you go in and you graduate, oh, well, you need experience. Well, how can I get experience if you don't give me a job? How can I learn if you don't, you know, if you don't set a platform for me? So what this has created is this has created a, a place where there's mentorships. There can be mentorships as, uh, as well. I can get them. Well, I'm in the process of getting a mentor. Um, and I also can be a mentor. And actually, there is supposed to be representation of this Forbes culture at every HBCU in the United States, right? Um, so I'm getting into, I'm getting heavily involved into that. Um, but this, this, this organization is really to help create a platform for us and for our people to sit, sit us at, to keep us at the table and to keep us going to more tables and also to collaborate with each other because I could come in with a business idea and let's just say, for example, and I'll give you an example, like, some of the people that are was initiated with me. Do you, I don't know if you know uh, Dr. McStuffins. Ever heard of Dr. McStuffins? Mm -hmm. So her real name is Miyasha Taylor, and she's just gotten done. So she's uh, she's a friend of our, of the group now. So we I'm networking with her as well. Um, the edited the the content creator for LinkedIn. 
It's an African-American. He just got inducted as well. Um, there's a couple of shows on BET. Um, I think one of them is Situationships. Mm -hmm. The executive director and producer is uh, also got inducted. Um, so it's so as you can see, like it's taken different people that are performing at, are, are, are at top levels in different fields and different industries and bringing them into this into this culture, into this network. And it allows us to network with each other. It allows us to build with each other. It allows us to create and to expand. Um, got a couple of people, a couple of capital, capital venture uh, investors that also they're also members as well that just, just joined. So this is really an amazing opportunity um, to be able to help our culture, which is African-Americans, which is black, which is us, is to help us to navigate us into these different spaces and rooms um, that's out here um, and be able to be a guide, to be able to be like the, uh, a guide or a guide way to, to the next generation, to the younger kids to say, okay, well, come in, come in here now and we can help you get to the next place or the next spot or the, to advance your career or to even start your career. And also at the same time, we're also still teaching, we're teaching about investing. And I mean, it's forged. Right. So we're still teaching about investing, still teaching about the power of the dollar and the power of maximizing your money and collaborating and how to create that businesses at the same time. So it's things that we really should, it's things that as a culture that we should really know. It's things as a culture that we should be passing and we should be doing this. You know, you should be taking, you could take this talent pool. Think about the dream team. So look at this as the dream team of, of your, of your, uh, of your, your 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 some of your top black talent in the world in the world of business in the world of finance in the world of directing in the world of technology so you're taking the best and the brightest and putting them together and allowing them to have the opportunity to collaborate and network and then allowing them to be able to work with each other mentor each other um and also to open up the door for the next generation to come in and to help them as well so all in all which is trying to close that wealth gap and the way to close that wealth gap, you got to pass the information and you got to work together and you got to network. And so we have like monthly, you know, monthly meetings, some summits are getting ready to come up. I'm going to be attending. I think we got a summit coming. I believe it's in Atlanta, but um, I'm going to be trying to go to that. So and I'm also just trying to look how, look into how to help the community because it's part of me even being a part of, of this, this, this organization and um, being a part of leadership, you know, with Forbes, um, it's really big that I try to bring bring something down into the community and, and help in some way and, and be the change that I want to see and then just help us to be able to close that gap and to show our own people that it don't take you making $100,000 to make it work for you. If you can figure out how to make it work for you and maximize what you have, you can make more. But it takes to talk about that. Yeah, man, and to see you on that list, you know, coming from where we come from, definitely proud of you for that, and to see your matriculation from, you know, your days at GMS to West, and now it's it's been a sight to see, and I just want to say this for every kid back home in the 252, you can do what you want to do if you put your mind to it, put in that work. Don't have no excuses. I mean, you could be the next Marquette Branch. You could be the next Keon Crossing. 
You could be the next Keldon Johnson. You could be the next whoever, but be the best you. And just know that it's going to take you some time. Rome wasn't built in the day. That's the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest thing. I, the biggest thing that I want to share to people, um, to teenagers, to even young adults, even people in our group, peer group, the biggest thing I want to share is, like you said, Rome wasn't built in a day. And it, everything that you do takes a process. It's a process. If I could tell you my additional back-end professional story to get to where I am right now, it was it's a process. And I'm still in a part of that process. Um, so I man, I appreciate it, man. But it, it, I just I definitely wanted people to always know that it is a process and nothing comes easy and it is hard work and it's a lot of failures, man. For every piece of successful information that you hear or that you hear that I may have had or that I may do, I got 150 failures and 150 heartbreaks for that one positive thing. For this one Forbes initiation, for this one Forbes, this this one big thing with Forbes, which is which is a great thing um, for any African-American, especially is a great thing for someone like me coming from where we come from. You know, it's, it's, it's unheard of because our culture don't, we know about Forbes, but we only know about it for your net worth. We don't know about the financial backing and stuff. We don't know about that. But the biggest thing I can say is that one thing comes with 200, 150, 200 failures. We don't even, we're not even going to discuss the groups in, that I didn't get in, the jobs that I didn't get. You know, we're not even going to even go into that process, to that aspect. And so, you know, it's it's a very, it's a very, very much so meticulous thing of working hard. And I will always want people to know that even now, even now, having this interview with you is amazing because it, you know, is something that that is cool. We grew up together, we know each other, you know, our families. So it's a it's a it's a really cool thing in what you're doing now, man. This is awesome. This is like so amazing. But just letting the kids and letting the people know that you can do anything that you set your mind to. I mean, take it from me. I went from being home, obviously, my parents, I had great parents, but my parents can't think for me. My parents can't make decisions for me. You know, eventually you get out here by yourself and you got to do what you have to do. So to start from North Fenton County, um, North Fenton West, <laughs> Miss Turner, English class, to and, and, and all of our, our Catholic classes and all that. So to go from all of that to now, you know, working with a Fortune 500 company and FIS Global um, and being, a, being an analyst there, and being able to work and oversee the entire uh, the entire market of trades. Financial technology is a huge field. I will encourage all African-American kids, check out financial technology. Um, yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Any shout outs you want to give before we wrap and also plug your social media if uh, folks want to holler at you, get in touch with you? Um, any shout outs? Uh, obviously, first the first shout out I want to give a shout out to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, without... Without without God, none of this is possible. Nothing is possible. I'm I'm nothing without God. God has been my source of, of of power to continue moving forward through the midst of everything that comes with this roller coaster of life. Um, but that's first the first shout out I want to give. Second one, uh, shout out to my to my parents um, for all of the lessons and things that they've given me and done with me through my entire life. I want to shout out to my to my uh, 
I want to give a shout out to all of my old coaches, all of my old coaches. Um, I appreciate every last one of them. Um, and, and major shout out to to all of my peers, to all of my peers that I that I know hadn't talked to, still talked to, it's still still the same, still love you the same. Major shout out to you for what you're doing and, and, and the platform that you're creating, man. This is amazing. Um, I love what you're doing. I want to also give a shout out to my to my girl for being there, supporting me, and helping me through um, a lot of hard times, um, and just keeping me continuously keeping me motivated, and just kind of standing by my side as we go through this crazy thing, man. It's crazy thing of life. Mm, and this interview will be available on all streaming platforms and on YouTube beyond the album cover. And I just want to say this before we wrap, man. This interview right here is for the two five two for welding. For Gaston, for Garrisburg, for Lilton, for Lake Gaston, for Henrico, for Rich Square, for Orlando, for Muffinsboro, for Windsor, for Waduco, for Sunbury, for Rocky Absolutely. Mount, for PJ Trailer Court, for Lincoln Town, for Hodges Town, everywhere in between the areas where we grew up from. This is for y'all. To see Absolutely. two black men from Northampton County make something of themselves and to be able to sit here, break bread, and talk, this is monumental. And I just want to say, back home, you helped shape us, you helped mold us, and we're forever indebted for that. Forever. Ever, forever, forever indebted. And honestly, man, maybe we can uh can get together again. Um, another thing I do want to touch on, um, I do want to touch on at, at some point, and, I, and maybe I can come back and talk with you. You can sit down and do it again. But um, investing for sure. I want, I want, I do want to talk about investing. Um, I, I, I if if I could, all of us would invest. Um, I, I it's super important for us to invest. Um. And we ain't even got to talk about money. It's investing time. It's investing a couple, a lot of things. But right now, I am talking about money. Um, investing, and this is something that our culture, we don't really know about. We don't know about. And the stuff that we do know, we're only going to it and going towards it because it looks quick. Quick flip. Quick hustle. Investing is like a process with anything, but you'll think it's up later. Uh, so that, I, I do want to sit back, come back down, sit back with you, man. And have a discussion about that because that's a lot of stuff that I'm doing now. So the Forbes, Forbes the culture, um, that's a part of leadership that I'm working with now and moving forward. But I'm also working. I've also been investing and doing a lot of investing uh, things on the side, and um, even my even my job that I'm working um, is is really in financial technology, and it really is overseeing the entire the entire market, the trades of the stock market, and um, and the different exchanges. Um, so it's really taking a lot of things now that I really want to I want to give back to our community. And I want all of us to know that you don't have to be a Harvard graduate in Series 7, Series 66 having a uh, guru to be able to invest your money and be smart with your money and create a better future for yourself. Because if you are working for a job with a 401k, you're already investing. You just got somebody doing it for you. Take sure. the middle man out. For sure. We're definitely going to do about that, uh, an investment episode. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only Mr. Marquette Branch. Brother, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on.
Thank you, brother. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your platform. Thank you so much for everything that you've done, everything that you're doing. I look forward to seeing you again, my brother. It's a pleasure, man. God bless you, man. Yes, sir.